0: Pastor Xavier Reese says life's best choice is neither plan A, B, or C, but the divine will of God.
1: Now Samuel would then be told the man to anoint. Listen to the words. You shall anoint for me the one that I name to you. This is always the principle of Scripture. God is the one who directs and guides. I will build my church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
0: Samuel. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to the will of God, Pastor Xavier says, God is a lot more interested in our obedience to Him than our opinion for Him. And this is a simple truth that even the prophets of old needed some reinforcing from time to time, including the prophet Samuel. And as we continue our series through the book of 1 Samuel we'll see how our choices simply come down to standing with God and for God or against God.
1: Saul, the first king, by the choice of the people, has failed miserably and has been rejected by God. As you know, Saul had done foolishly, offering sacrifice, blaming Samuel for not getting there on time, that the people were scattered and the Philistines were ready to attack them. And he attempted to justify himself as a sincere and spiritual man in chapter 13. He was wrong. Saul disobeyed then to destroy Amalek completely, blaming the people and sparing the king in chapter 15. He was wrong. God rejected him twice. Saul is a constant reminder that the anointing of God is no license for disobedience and can consequently forfeit the anointing of God. It should be red lights to every Christian and every leader. Some believe that at this point, Saul has reigned about 25 years. The timeline is always difficult to pinpoint, but if it is, it's about 1025 to 1024 B.C. And that leaves 15 years left of his reign because he reigned 40 years, we're told by Paul in Acts 13.21. So even though Saul has come to this point and there is a transition going on, and he will be present for 16 more chapters until his death, this chapter... Mark the rise of David, who is the replacement of Saul. This is key as a chapter. This will bring about the growing tension between the north and the south, Judah and Israel, as we move through Samuel into the kings. Now, these two men are as different as night and day. Saul was looking for donkeys, if you remember, when Samuel was going to anoint him. Donkeys were unclean animals, so symbolic of Saul. Unclean. David, on the other hand, we're going to see, is keeping the flock of his father's sheep, which are clean beasts, symbolic of David, night and day. Saul self will, wicked and concerned with what the people think about him. David, on the other hand, is a man after God's own heart, concerned about what God thinks about him. And these are the very words of God in 1 Samuel 13, 14. David failed drastically. We're going to see that. But he was a man after God's own heart. It was a great difference between the two men. And so, what we have here in chapter 16 is the anointing of David, which is presented for us in three movements. Let me read here chapter 16. He says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him and was re- reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself. A King among his sons, and Samuel said, uh, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do and shall anoint for me the one I name to you. And so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at the coming and said, uh, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peacefully I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse, his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came um, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. And so Jesse called Abinadab and made him the path before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these and Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your young men here? And then he said, uh, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he went and he brought him in. Now he was ready and bright-eyed and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command his servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player, on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the spirit, distressing spirit from God comes upon you, and you shall be well. And so Saul said to the, to the servant, "Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me." And then one of the servants answered and said, "Look, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem, who is skillful in playing, mighty man of valor, man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him." Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took the donkey, loaded with bread, skin of wine, and the young goat, and sent him by hand of David to Saul. And so David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please, let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take up the harp and play with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. David's anointing is presented to us here in a threefold movement. First, we have the commission to anoint David in verse 1 through 5. The second we have the selection to anoint David in verse 6 through 13. And then we have the transition after the anointing of David, verse 14 through 23. Let's begin here with the commission to anoint David, the first five verses. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the voice of God came to the prophet Samuel, as it had in the past many times. He's been around for a while. In verse 1, God rebuked Samuel for his sadness over Saul. That's the communication, first of all, to Samuel. Don't miss it. Samuel had been grieving too long for Saul. The Lord Yahweh says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? He had grown close to Saul. He wanted Saul to succeed, but Saul did not succeed. Saul was self-will. And so Samuel had become overwhelmed. And that's why God rebukes him, because see, Samuel had lost perspective about the holiness of God for a split second, for a few days, whatever it may be, and all humans can do this. We know what to do, but it's, are we going to do what we know we're supposed to do? He says, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. So Samuel here had lost sight that God had never chosen Saul. And we can get close to people, and, and, and somehow they're not walking with God, and, and we, we are disobedient to God, and yet we become opposed to God because we're making our affiliations based on emotions and not upon obedience. Samuel's mourning was inappropriate in view that Yahweh had rejected Saul. And so with Christians, Christians who live in sin, and we don't cut off fellowship if, if they refuse to repent, and we'll get into this. God is dealing with them, and we're not helping the matter. We're, in fact, we're hindering it. Notice Samuel was ordered to anoint God's king then. The imperative command was given. Fill your horn with oil and go. Samuel had been called to do that to Saul also in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. Remember, the authority is Yahweh's, Don't miss it. I am sending you to Jesse, the blessing of mine. God is in control. Now, Bethlehem is about 10 miles from Ramah, six miles southwest of Jerusalem. And Samuel had also been told by God about Saul's anointing as he was coming. Remember in chapter 9, Saul was looking for those donkeys, and God told Samuel through word of knowledge, there's a man tomorrow. Saul is going to come, anoint him, the the people's kings. Now, all of a sudden, he's sending Samuel, and he's going to show him his own king. Now notice the purpose was to set up the monarchy. In verse 1 there at the end, For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Myself. I. The word for king is malek. It's used for David from the very beginning. When we looked at Saul, the word prince was used. First Samuel 9, 16. Later on, it was used malek, but not at the beginning. The word is always used for David. Now, Samuel here was told by God that the people had asked for Saul, remember, previously. But here, now, the contrast is God is the emphasis. Don't miss it here. I have rejected him, verse 1. I have sent you to Jesse. I have provided myself a king. And later on in verse 3, he'll say, I will show you what you must do. This is always a test case for you in my life. Are we going to obey the Lord to do what he wants or are we going to do what we think we should do? God could care less about my opinions. He wants my obedience. That's the most important thing. Look at verse 2. Samuel objected to the mission of God. Sound familiar? (laughs) Samuel, who, the prophet? Yep. Samuel feared retaliation from Saul. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The implication here again is that Saul had become more hostile since the rejection by God. We don't get a lot of the stuff, but we can figure things out as we're moving along here. God has rejected him. There's been a drift going on. Samuel was God's judge and prophet. His trip to Bethlehem would cross the home of Saul, Gibeah of Benjamin. He would be noticed. Now he had his circuit and everything else, but there's some real tension here. The fear of Samuel is real, it is factual. And we can miss this when we just read like this and we don't realize what's going on here. Saul is a very evil man. Perhaps Saul had already put spies in the land, as we know he did later on in chapter 22, verse 11 through 19, as he killed all the priests at Nob. You know, and it's, it's, it's interesting, when people are self-willed, they'll do anything to sabotage other people. They'll do anything to remain in power. Now, notice Samuel was given instructions for sacrifice. There in verse 2, the Lord Yahweh said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh. So the Lord Yahweh told Samuel to announce his coming for sacrifice. This was part of his circuit and all that. The instruction is not a lie, but it's only a means by which he can be protected from Saul. Now, do you think God needed this, this, this information? He didn't know that Saul was after him? Of course he did. But God allows us to enter dialogue and to realize what's going on and to see that the fear of this man is as real as yours and mine, you understand? Even though he is anointed prophet. Now, remember when Samuel anointed Saul, he also did it through sacrifice in chapter 9, verse 19 through 24. Samuel was also to invite Jesse in verse 3 there for the sacrifice. Now Samuel would then be told The man to anoint. God is the one who's directing. He's the one that's going to choose. Listen to the words. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I name to you. This is always the principle of scripture. God is the one who directs and guides. I will build my church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simple. Now look at verse 4 and 5. You have the voice of God, and it was obeyed by the prophet Samuel. In verse 4, the arrival of Samuel at Bethlehem is given to us. So Samuel did what the Lord Yahweh said, and he went to Bethlehem. His journey to Ramah again, from Ramah to Bethlehem, about 10 miles. Bethlehem means house of bread, six miles southwest. Of Jerusalem, and the welcome of Samuel was met with hesitation. It says, And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you you come in peaceably? (laughs) They were freaked out. Again, the elders, the representatives of the city, the heads of the family, the fear they were under is not specified or given to us, but without doubt, it had to do with the tension between Samuel and Saul because of God having rejected Saul. The word tremble there means to quake or to be anxiously careful. How ironic that they were freaked out, they were trembling, but so was Samuel. And the minute that they asked him the question, he gave him the answer, they both went, oh, okay, it's over with. <laughs> and so often we look at other people, oh, they're so spiritual, they're not like me. They're just like you. They freak out just like you. They have lots of faith just like you. Listen to me, we're all made of dirt, and if you add a little too much water, we become mud balls. <laughs> it's simple. They probably didn't want to be blamed by taking sides, and maybe even Saul had put out the word. You know, if you sided with Samuel, it might not go good with you. Or maybe they remember Samuel executing King Agag. And they thought maybe he was coming in judgment and something had happened. But I think it leans more to the tension between Saul and Samuel because of God's rejection. His fear is real. Look at verse 5. The response of Samuel eased their hearts. He was coming in peace. And he was coming for fellowship. I have come for sacrifices of Yahweh. And he was inviting them to sanctify, set themselves apart, and to come and sacrifice with them. And he also invited the house of Jesse to consecrate themselves as sons and to come in. eat. If you remember the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, when he ran from Jezebel, fearing for his life, and he was complaining to God how he was the only prophet left, and yet God rebuked him. He said he had hundreds of prophets that had not bowed their knee to Baal. And what God did is he sent him on a mission to anoint Haziel as king of Syria and jehu king over Israel. God turned his eyes back on him by having him get involved in the work of God so he can get his eyes off the circumstance. That is always key, ladies and gentlemen. If we don't have our eyes on the Lord and the work of God and we're involved in church, the situations of life will overwhelm us. And when you get involved with God's people and you're part of the work of God, you realize how many more people have it worse than you. And you start thanking and praising God rather than murmuring, complaining and whining. Like Samuel, the Christian sees many grievous moments. But none is so grievous as when a believer has to obey God to cut off fellowship from another person who used to walk with God. And maybe wasn't even in sweet fellowship in the service of God. That is difficult through the years that I've served the Lord, 35 years I've seen this and I've experienced this. And it's grievous. There's nothing worse. When a Christian refuses to repent from sin, there is to be a severing of fellowship in hope of restoration and reconciliation. When a believer is willfully living in sin and they demand that you accept them because as a Christian you're to be loving and forgiving Now, if you're a non-believer, and you're snorting, and you're fornicating, you're doing what you want, I have no problem with you. You don't know God. But if you tell me you're a Christian, now I hold you accountable to walk with God. And if you're in darkness, then I need you to repent. And if you don't repent, then I may have to sever fellowship and hope that you would receive the consequences and turn back to God. Not because I think I'm better, you understand? The person that does not separate from another who claims to be a Christian living in open sin is making their decision based on emotions or rational thinking, hindering that person from repentance and really standing opposing God. Because God can't condone sin and you go ahead and do it, now you become an enemy of a sin and a person who's living in sin, and you really are opposed to God. You, you, you're actually saying that you're more merciful, more compassionate than God, more understanding than God. Whoa. Listen to Paul. You remember in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, he asks that they excommunicate that young man that was sleeping with his stepmother. That they turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that a spirit may be saved. Now we know that he did repent. But not everybody repents. You understand? But he said put him out. Nobody does that today. We believe in Matthew 18. Because we love you. Like Samuel. The best way for a believer to get out of one's own grief and disappointments. Is to serve the Lord as I said earlier. The enemy, Satan, attempts always to discourage us in any way he can. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5, 8. He's a master. We're not ignorant of his devices, Paul says in 2 Corinthians two 11. He's been around for a long time. He knows human character. He knows human sinfulness. The believer is to fulfill his or her ministry, whatever God calls that individual to be and to do, having equipped them. Paul the Apostle tells this to Archippus in Colossians 4, 17. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. What has God called you to do? Are you doing it to the glory of God? Are you doing it in the love of God? And are you doing it and committed to do it to the day the Lord takes you home? That's the question between you and God. But I'll tell you what He hasn't called you to do just to sit in the pew. Like Samuel, the things that God has each of us to do at times can be frightening, intimidating but he will enable us through his word and his holy spirit it could be standing for truth when everybody's going for a lie when everybody's talking down Christianity you stand for God when somebody says no we, we, God didn't create us, we evolved and you say no we didn't and you're in a college class It could be standing for a person who is a righteous person, a godly person, and who has had the courage to say that's wrong, and everybody starts gossiping and slandering and and, and marking them and, and really committing character assassination. But you stand with them. That's good. But it's intimidating, isn't it? It could be as simple as witnessing to your parents that so now you've come to the Lord and they raised you, and now you tell them that they're lost. You've got to tell them that they're they're not going to heaven. How do you do that? Frightening, intimidating, but necessary. Are you willing to be obedient to do that? Listen to Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah's called to an incredible ministry, suffering. Jeremiah. The opening chapter, when he calls them in chapter one, verse seventeen through 19, says, "Therefore, prepare yourself and arise, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, as they're going to cut his throat and everything out. Don't freak out. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar." a brazen wall against the whole land against the king of Judah against the princes against the priests against the people of the land they will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you for I am with you says the Lord Yahweh to deliver you that's the same promise to you either you're going to stand with God and for God or against Him life will prove what you are the circumstances will be the test you alone are the first to know if you pass or you fail. The commission to anoint David was not easy, was it? Sometimes we can read, oh yeah, he anointed him. We forget all about this. It wasn't
0: easy. Not always the easiest choice, but choosing God's will is clearly the best choice for our lives. Pastor Xavier Rees wrapping up just the first portion of our Simple truth study of 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you can listen to this program again for any part that you may have missed just by clicking on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Now there's much more to come right here next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is simply, The Real King of Israel, David. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is The Real King of Israel, David. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485.